It's good to see so many worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, that it's very clear as you raise your hands or tears in your eyes or you're singing and you can tell, I can tell that it's coming from your heart. And then I get up here and you need to know that I uh, sense and know that it's a great, great privilege for me to be able to open the word of God for you. Uh, God help me. Uh, but I just wanted to express that, that I know it's a, it's a great privilege. So praise the Lord. And um, I'm just so amazed at what God has called me to do. If we were to ask a question, <clears throat> what characterizes our country, our uh, culture? What characterizes your friends, my friends? One word, busyness, <laughs> busy. Everybody is so, so busy. Don't have time for much. And that's why the brother was saying about taking time to spend time with God, because it is. And uh, Jesus spoke about, in Luke 17, about the times before he comes. In uh, Luke 17, verse 26, Luke 17, verse 26. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, Noah with the great flood, all the people were died in the world except eight people. This was a great, great judgment of God. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28. And it was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on that day, that on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire, brimstone and from heaven and destroyed them all. Jesus is going to be coming back. And there's going to be massive, massive judgment. This reading this morning from uh, Revelation 19 if we pay attention to what it says there, my, 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 my. Um, throughout scripture, God has spoken about the coming judgment. But because we are so busy and so comfortable, that doesn't move us as much. Oh, we might hear about it, but it doesn't move us as much. And... Again, throughout scripture, Psalm 2, Psalm 2, the psalmist is amazed at the people of the world. Psalm 2, it says, why are the nations in an uproar? And the people devising a vain thing, meaning it is doomed. It will never, ever succeed. The world systems 
apart from Jesus Christ will never, ever succeed. A vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. We will not be under the rule of God. We're going to do our own thing, thank you very much. Oh yes, if I have to go to church, I'll go to church, but I'm still gonna do my own thing. It doesn't have to be uh, non-believers. It can be us as well. We're gonna do our own thing. I know it's wrong, I know it's immorality, I know it's uh, not quite right, but I'm gonna do it anyway, because I wanna do my thing. Okay, verse four, he who sits on the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger. You think, well, dad yelled, but he doesn't, I don't see a paddle. We're greatly mistaken. And we're going to see that later today in this message. He will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron. That was quoted in uh, Revelation 19. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the son that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. The way I'm living, the way you're living. Are you living in your life in such a way that it shows that you're living for Jesus? What do you understand about the second coming of Jesus Christ? Does it move you? Do you know that Jesus has commanded each and every one of us to make disciples? Meaning to speak the gospel to others and help them follow Jesus? Each and every one of us, we've commanded to do that. Are we? Or is it like, well, that's for the pastor, that's for the elders, and that's for the deacons. No, no, no. No. Uh-uh. It's for each and every one of us. And Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And you and I are going to answer. And so that's why it's very important to go back to, again, the Word of God, because... That's the word of God reveals what we need to be about. Because as we said, as others have said, the world's constantly throwing stuff at us, right? And our own hearts 
We want to do what's pleasurable and what's fulfilling and what there's not going to be an ache in my soul. We want a quick answer, quick relief from pain. And so we end up making decisions that really have nothing to do with honoring God. But Jesus is coming back. And Jesus has commanded believers to faithfully make disciples until his wonderful second coming. We need to be faithful to that. This morning, what I'm going to do is going to look, uh, review very quickly the five essentials of the church. What are we to be about? There's five essentials. And in each one of those cases, uh, I'm going to, again, very, very quickly say, here's the legitimate need for that essential. Uh, what happens when that essential is just by itself and the church emphasizes that essential at the detriment of the other four? Uh, and what happens when the church doesn't have that essential? And we have mentioned those essentials, right? This essential of worship, of Christian education, of community, of outreach and stewardship. Those five essentials that Jesus, that God has revealed in his word that we as a church are supposed to be about. And we're to be helping others in all those five. And sometimes it's just a matter of, look, I don't know what to do, but I can bring you to church. I can point you to resources where you can be helped. But as a church as a whole, we're supposed to be doing all those five essentials and discipling others to apply those five essentials. And then after I review a little bit of those essentials and give the legitimate uh, need for each one of those and what happens when the church overemphasizes that essential and what happens when we don't have it, right? Then I'm going to look a little bit at the second coming of Christ because, because that in essence is the third motivation for living the Christian life. There's three major motivations. Why do I get up? Why should I live the Christian life when there's so much fun in the world? There's so much other thing that can give me a buzz and it's cheap and it's quick and it's easy. Why would I go through the hard times of discipling others and going through the, you know, Christian life can be tough. Well, there's three major motivations. The glory of God. The glory of God. And we have very little understanding of the glory of God. But man, if we just understand a little bit, it can motivate us powerfully to live for Christ. The, the glory of God. Then the second one would be the love of God, right? The love of God compels us to live for him and not for self. And then the third one that I see is the second coming of Christ. The blessed hope, as we call it. And we're going to see why as well this morning. Just a little bit because it's just a lot. Much, much to cover. So here we go. Uh, the five essentials. And I say with the, this is the purpose statement of living word. The purpose statement of living word. Let me just read the preamble. The preamble, the introduction, so to speak, to those five essentials. It goes like this. To the glory of God, living word evangelical free church is established to carry out the God-ordained responsibilities of the local church. The love of God Almighty compels us to worship Him and thereby live out His plan of expanding His rule over evil through our Lord Jesus Christ's work. 
first within our own lives, then within our church, the community, our, our country, and the rest of the world. Dependent upon and enabled by the Holy Spirit, we seek to help people know God our Father as we obey Him by faith in making disciples by five essentials. So you see, the glory of God and the love of God are the main motivations here in the preamble. And then at the very end of our purpose statement, at the very end, after we go to the five essentials, then it says, until our Lord Jesus' glorious return. And that's very, 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 very key. Even though it's just a little part at the very end, major component of our purpose statement as a church. And so um, let me just, again, real quickly review. What do we mean by worship? First of all, we write to inwardly give the highest value to the Holy One and to take Him in as one's own very life. The highest value, the highest good, the highest motivation is God Himself. That He is our very life. Not all these other things that we do or hope in, our work, that individual that's so pretty, that individual that has all the qualities we want, all the world and all the successes and all the accomplishments, no. It's God and God alone who holds my life. And that's part of the deep inwardly. That's worship, right? Outwardly, what we do Sunday morning, so to speak, outwardly, to orderly plan the arrangement of activities that enhance the giving of highest value to the Holy One and taking Him in as one's own very life. Sunday morning, our worship team prepares. Okay, what's the order of service? What's going to be taking prayer, prayer? And what songs? And all that we do, the Word of God, the offering, all of it is to enhance giving of the highest value to the Holy One and taking Him in on one's very life. That's what we mean by worship. Now, the legitimate need of it? <laughs> well, this is what we were created for. We were created to worship God because He is our life. He is our creator, right? Man's ultimate purpose for existing, to, to honor and glorify God, to magnify His goodness. 1 Peter 4.11, Colossians 3.17, 1 Corinthians 1.31, Psalm 150. It's all over the Bible, right? Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, right? Psalm 150, let everything praise the Lord. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. That's the legitimate need for uh, worship. But sometimes a church uh, or a denomination or a faith system may overemphasize. That's all they do is focus way too much on worship. And so this situation reminds people of their desperate need for the immortal God, but does not aid them in being in a personal relationship with God. I remember this is the way I grew up. You go into the church and it's like, oh, don't even look up because you might get burned. Ooh, the worship of God. I, I sense the, the awe of it. And in, in some ways I miss that. But I, I was never helped to have an, a personal relationship with God. You see? So, you know, we can overemphasize worship. And of course, what happens when we don't have, we don't emphasize worship? Well, we can have a good business. A church can be massive, like a, like a corporation. 
It may be a good running machine, feeding people emotionally, and to be sure, some spiritually, but little, if any, passionate, real knowledge and movement towards God. There's not a deep Christianity when real substantial worship in spirit and in truth is not there. So that's worship. Then we have Christian education. What do we mean by Christian education? To instruct and model experiential knowledge, not just intellectual knowledge, where we can quote the Bible and say all kinds of doctrines and argue all kinds of theology, but no experience behind it, right? Uh, I've had plenty of that. But this experiential knowledge is a life-giving biblical truth. It's indestructible, both at the individual level and corporate levels of the church. So as a church, we're supposed to be, have this Christian education that's moved from actual experience, not just sound biblical teaching. We need sound biblical teaching. We need sound doctrine. But out of that to be lived out so that we can have an impact for Christ. So people can know him, right? Now, there's a legitimate need. Why do we have a legitimate need? Well, very simply put, as human beings, we are simple, sinful, and easily seduced into sin. That's why we need the Word of God, right? Uh, we need the revelation from God, not just human uh, rationale, just human understanding, because that can be very deceptive because we humans have an incredible brain, incredible abilities to think and put two and two together. I mean, incredible philosophies. But in the end, if it's not based on the word of God, it's going to be misleading. We need the revelation from God. That's the legitimate need. Now, what happens when the church overemphasizes this? And I, I've been in the church like this. Uh, the church can be cold, distant, proud, snobby. I remember going to the church and, uh, <laughs> woo, uh, uh, it was amazing, amazing. Uh, uh, anything and everything was quoted directly from the Greek or directly from the Hebrew and everybody incredible intelligence. But man, you went into the church, you needed an overcoat. It was pretty cold. Everybody knew a bunch of knowledge, but it's like something terrible is missing here. And that's what happens when the church overemphasizes and just focuses on, on knowledge and doctrine and so forth, right? Um, but what happens when there isn't sound teaching? Here's what happens. People are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and or emotion. And so some new thing comes along, ooh, that sounds great. We ought to have that as a church too. No, it's all emotional and the latest fact because there isn't sound understanding and teaching from the word of God. So we need to have worship. We need to have Christian education and community. What do we mean by community? To receive from and to give to one another materially and spiritually. And believers do that because of their participation in what God is. He gave us this divine nature, it says in First uh, Peter. You see? Um, and all through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we couldn't do it ourselves. 
right? So this, we need this community. What's the legitimate need of it? Well, that's the way we were actually created. We were created to be connected with fellow believers. How do we know that? Because God, God, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three individuals. And yet they are so united that they are but one God. It's mysterious. It's mysterious. But what we find from that is that God is a social being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that we are made in His image. Meaning we were made to connect with other people. And we've gone through this. And we can't kill that because that's the very image of God in us. And when we don't turn to God, we end up connecting in very sick ways. In ways that are actually destructive. And I've said this before. Every Friday night, every Saturday night, man, the bars are full. Everybody's connecting. <laughs> and then the next morning, they look at each other. Woo, who's that? <laughs> Woo, we connected. But man, this is scary. Yeah. Yeah, there's a legitimate need to connect, but it must be done in the God's way through holiness and truth and love. So that's the legitimate need. We're made in the image of God to be in continuous relationship with God and his fellow man. And there's all kinds of scriptures on that. Uh, what happens when the church overemphasizes community? Overemphasizes community. Well, the church can be like a social club. But there's no significant movement towards God. It's just good to get together. Let's have a party. Oh, yeah, 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 party. Golf, uh, tennis, uh, and all this. And it was wonderful to have, you know, be with my fellow Christians. But no real movement, passionate movement towards God. That's when this issue of community is overemphasized. Well, what happens when a church doesn't have much community? Uh, well, there's emotional starvation and or denial of the need. I've seen this happen where, you know, people are in a church and it's emotional, 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 and no real understanding and movement. Eventually, you know, forget it, man. It doesn't work. And they leave the church because um, there wasn't real community. A lot of emotion, but no real, real community where people really know each other. They really know each other, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's all a show. We're going to, you know, look good, but nobody really knows me, and I know nobody. Mm. Nah, nah. We need community, but it needs to be done with all the other essentials as well, right? And then outreach. This essential of the church needs to have outreach. To obey God, to love neighbor by reaching out, to communicate the truth of the gospel in Love. As I've said, the church is not just some holy huddle to, you know, pump ourselves up and feel good. No, we're here to grow so that we can reach out to the lost world. Otherwise, we become, well, uh, what's the legitimate need of this? It's commanded. Right? Jesus in Matthew 28. Go to all the nations. Make disciples of the nations. Right? I mean, God left heaven. I mean, absolute perfection to come to Rio Grande Valley. <laughs> yeah, hello. Really? You left heaven to come here to the Rio Grande? Yep. So you and I could hear the gospel and be saved. Be saved. 
Saved from what? I'll get that in a minute. But reach out. He's commanded. In John 17 and verse 18, Jesus was talking to the Father. And he was saying, Father, as you sent me to the earth, now I sent them into the world. Right? To speak truth, to share the gospel. This is the legitimate need for the outreach. What happens when a church overemphasizes outreach? The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. I remember somebody telling me they were at a church and every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, and then they left. And then that person was asked, well, why did you leave the church? I got tired of getting saved. <laughs> every Sunday. And, and nothing else, really. It was just overemphasizing the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Um, much activity, but shallow understanding and sometimes very unstable. You see, we need outreach, but it's not to be overemphasized over the other essentials of the church. What happens without it? What happens without outreach? Well, it's like a, a land, a, a, a lake or something that has no outlet, right? The water begins to get stagnated and stinks. We're supposed to be flowing. Right? Truth comes in. Love comes in from God. And it's to flow to other people. Love. Right? And truth. Otherwise, we just become stagnant. And things because ultimately is death. There's no life. Finally, stewardship. To wisely manage all resources, material and non-material, entrusted by God. Right? Entrusted by God. The legitimate need for this? God has purposely entrusted resources to the church, expecting a good return. We went through this some time ago, last Sunday? No, whenever. Uh, we went through this, the legitimate need to have good stewardship. Uh, that's, that's it. But what about when, when there isn't good stewardship? When people are not using their spiritual gifts right? when the church is just mismanaging what God has entrusted to, to it. Uh, well, there's inefficiency. Everything gets bogged down. Frustration, right? Uh, it's, it's always there, that frustration, because the resources are not being used. And in a family, it's the same way. It doesn't have to be the church. But in an individual, you're misusing uh, the steward, your stewardship. You're going to be frustrated. Unhappy, you can make many, lots and lots of money, but no good stewardship? Nah, not good. What about by itself? And this is where, again, the church can become like a business, right? Make sure that everything is counted. Make sure that everything is running right. Make sure that the books are right, and all that is important. But when it's overemphasized, there's self-sufficiency. We got this, God. Thank you very much. Maybe greed. Let's continue to put money in the bank, money in the bank, money in the bank, because that way we will always be secure. Hmm. Worldly. Worldly. The church can become worldly when it just uh, focuses on being good managers. That's what the review, quick review of the, four, of the five essentials. But then at the very end of our purpose statement, it says, until our Lord Jesus Christ's glorious return. Until... Uh, we're supposed to be faithful, making disciples, helping others come to know God and follow Jesus Christ. That's the purpose in living. 
You want a purpose in living? There it is. To be proclaiming the word of God, the excellencies of God. That's our purpose in living. Until our Lord Jesus Christ returned. And I thought, oh man, how many passages can I go through that one? We'll be here 10 hours and I'll just barely scratch the surface. So I said, okay, 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 okay. Take it easy. How about Revelation 19? And there's so much in Revelation 19. Oh man, why don't we have that as the scripture reading? And then let me summarize because this is the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to summarize, 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 right? And because the book, (laughs) it's amazing, amazing. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's, I broke it down in three different sections here of of, uh, Revelation 19, 1 through 10, 11 through 16, and 17 through 21. The first thing is this, the first 10 verses of Revelation 19, God is to be worshiped because he will judge the wicked and provide believers with happiness. Uh, No, I'm sorry, that's of the whole passage there. God is to be worshiped because he will judge the wicked and provide for believers happiness. Uh, First of all, I want you to note uh, in verse 2, verse 2 of Revelation 19. Uh, Again, lots of summary here. Because his judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot. You see that? Great harlot. Who was corrupting the earth with her immorality. And he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. The great harlot. The great harlot. It's actually found several places in, in the book of Revelation. The great harlot is the world system that takes people away from God, substitute God, so she plays the harlot. And this world system can be the false religions of all the world or the world system of atheism or secularism uh, where God is nowhere to be found or false religions. And really, really, there's only two religions in the world. Really, 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 I mean, many subgroups, but really only two. One religion says, man, you can do it. Here's a whole system of you can do all these things and boom, you'll be saved. Move all the religions there. There's another religion that says, nah, man cannot do it. God has to do it. And that's what Jesus Christ was doing. He came to die for our sins, rose again from the dead, and believing in him, we can't do anything about it. It's not by works. It is by his work that we get saved. And you can separate all the religions in the world into those two. And all the other ones that are not just believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior is the harlot. Call it whatever it may be. Jesus Christ is coming back to judge the harlot that misleads the whole world against God. And you can search it. You can. What is it? We went to see the latest movie, Sound of Freedom. And that's uh, human trafficking. Child trafficking is just out out of control. It has risen 5,000% in 
Not 50%, not 100%, not 1,000%, 5,000%. This is the world we're living in. It's rivaling now the drug industry in the whole world. I can't wrap my head around that. The evil around us, the great harlot. Jesus is coming back to judge the harlot, the whole world system. Wow. You see what I mean? That was like, uh, it's dizzying. It's dizzying. Uh, but he's coming back, you see. Um, and then with that, he provides permanent happiness for his believers. This is just like, wow. Instead of being judged as a harlot, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he provides permanent, secure happiness forever. Forever. Verse 7. Remember verse 3? The verse two, the judgment of the harlot. Here's a woman. It's a harlot. Look at verse seven. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Who is the bride? The church. The church. You and me. And when God gets married, how secure is that marriage? Forever and ever. Happy. This is what the Lord is providing at his second coming for you and me. You see, those are just the first 10 verses of Revelation 19. And then verses 11 through 16. <laughs> Jesus carries out the judgment. He carries it out. He carries out the sentence against the ungodly for he is the King and Lord of all. We sing about it, but the reality is that he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he is coming back. That's what we find here, right? Jesus is the only righteous, all-powerful judge, jury, and executor. It's not like, well, here's a judge. Now send him over to the jury. Guilty or not guilty. And then if he's guilty, well, send him to the executor. Send him to jail. Jesus is all three and absolutely righteous, all-powerful. And that's what we find here in Revelation 19, 11 and following. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's coming back. So when he says, make disciples, live to promote Jesus and bring others to Jesus and help them grow in him. Why not obey him? He really is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I want you to note verse 13. He is clothed with the robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The Word of God. 
the Jews understood in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, and by his word, everything was created by his word alone. And so when he says he is called the word of God, this is the all powerful, creative word of God. It could have been at creation. It could have been, remember the prophets? And the word of the Lord came to Amos, Isaiah, named the prophets. And when the prophets spoke, they were the word of God. The Jews understood. It could have been the creative, all-powerful word of God, or it could have been the revelation through the prophets, or it could have been, for instance, Proverbs 8. I was there at creation, Wisdom says, oh, everything was created in the by the wisdom of God. That's the word of God. And that was just a Jewish perspective. The Greek perspective was that the word, the logos, was the governing principle of all that is. That everything starts with the logos of the whole universe and explains everything. This one is called the word of God. That's who's coming back. That's who's coming back. And it all is who? Jesus Christ, right? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Is Jesus Christ, right? And the expression of God Almighty. My, my, my. Uh, and he carries out the devastating overwhelming, righteous wrath of God. I mean, verse 15, uh, uh, Revelation 19. Look, look, look at verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he strikes down the nations and he will rule them with the rod of iron. Where did we hear that? Psalm 2. Just by speaking, <laughs> just by speaking, the earth and all the moons and all the stars were created. Just by speaking, this world was created. Just by speaking. So when he speaks, and he speaks in judgment, no wonder it says a sharp sword and he destroys the nation by just speaking. That's who's coming. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of the Almighty. The winepress, the image is this. They would gather grapes and put it in this place. And then people would go and step on them. What would happen? The grapes, boom, would bust out and all the Jews would be gathered, right? The image is Jesus is stepping on human beings and they're busting out. Yes, sir. You thought that we think that Jesus is meek and mild and he is until he comes back in judgment. This robe dipped, <laughs> Isaiah 63, 
Isaiah 63. Uh, Isaiah 63, starting in verse 1. Same, same, what he's talking about. Isaiah 63, verse 1. Who is this who comes from Edom, whose garment of glowing color from Basra, the one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength, it is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? I have trotted the wine through trough alone. And from the peoples, there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath, and their lifeblood was sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my raiment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. I looked, and there was no one to help, and I was astonished, and there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me, and my wrath upheld me. I trod down the peoples in my anger and made them drunk with my wrath. And I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. You know, sometimes we don't understand the righteous judgment of God. We have to keep it down, but the word of God doesn't miss it. The word of God reveals the truth. And he's coming back for you and for me. And he has said, make disciples. And that's why for me as a pastor, when I say we need to look at our purpose statement, what reasons, on what basis are we to obey and follow? Huh. I read this and like, uh, yeah. Uh, we better make it very clear what we're to be about because Jesus is coming back. Amen. Back in Revelation 19, 17 through 21, the death of those who refuse to trust in Jesus, the death will be awful, awful. But it will be no problem for Jesus because he is almighty God. It will be awful. I mean, I, I think of, um, you know, moments where you don't even know what to say. Uh, it's just so beyond. We can't do anything about it. The closest, I mean, I've been in several situations. I, we lived in Houston at one point and we lived in a mobile home and, the mobile home next to us caught on fire and we just started hearing the screaming and it was at night and it's like, oh, and some people were in and we ran out, like, ah, but the flame was so much. And, like, ah, what? and they finally got out and the firemen came, but it was way too late. The flame was way, way overwhelming. Like, my, my, my. 
absolutely powerless to do anything about it. And I want you to note, in verse 15, uh, Revelation 19, what did it say? From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. And the rest were killed with the sword which comes from his mouth. All he has to do is say it. Obliteration. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Remember Psalm 2? Take warnings, O kings. Kiss the son. Do homage to the son. Lest he become angry and you perish. You perish. Uh, it's just, to me, uh, why not follow Jesus? Uh, why not follow Jesus? And his commandments, his commandments. As again, as, as a church, as a church, we're called to be making disciples. And we've been given what we need, right? All the five essentials to help believers in all those five essentials because Jesus is Lord and he's coming back. He really is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, do we need the gospel or what? If you're here, you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, there's only one way to be saved. Saved, listen carefully. Saved from the righteous judgment of God. He is coming back. And you and I are going to face him. When we sang the song, when I stand before the throne, oh, absolutely forgiven, complete in his righteousness, Glory be to God. And you and I have that opportunity to trust him. You right now. If you've never trusted in Jesus today, today is the day of salvation. Salvation from the righteous judgment of God. And his judgment is awful. I mean, did you see? Literally, literally, birds are called to eat the flesh. I mean... Picture big birds just going down with their beaks, plucking out the eyes and all the meat. An angel calls for that. You see, sometimes we, we look at the Bible, hey, everything's pretty, calm, and just love, love. Hmm. Won't you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Trust. It, it, it's a decision that you make. It's not like you, uh, I better go to church from now on. I better do all these things. No. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in yourself, in your knowledge, in your physical being, in your ability to do this or that. Stop trusting in yourself and trust in Jesus Christ. 
because he's the one that went to the cross and paid for all, all of your sins, past, present, future, all of your sins. Won't you trust him? We beg you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That is the word of God. First John 5, you just want to write it down. First John 5, 13 says this. Uh, <clears throat> These things I have written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Notice it doesn't say, for those of you who go to church, for those of you who give money, for those of you who get baptized, for those of you that give to the poor, for all of you, all, no, 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 no. For those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know. It's not like, well, when I die, I'll see whether I was good enough or not. No, no, no. You believe that you may know that you have eternal life. Won't you trust him? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's application number one. Application number two. Isn't Jesus worthy to be worshipped? Did you notice that he said uh, there was no one to help because there's only one righteous, only one righteous, Jesus Christ. And he did come, left heaven, being God himself so that he would die this awful, awful death so we would be saved, I mean, now and forever. He's worthy to be worshipped, to be worshipped. Um, and we worship him in everything that we do. We're supposed to worship him in, with our monies, with our clothing, with our possessions, with our abilities, intellectual or emotional, whatever. To worship him because he is worthy now and forever. When you get a chance, read Revelation 5. Oh, my goodness, the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you, you say, well, yeah, yeah, I want to worship it, but I don't know him that well. That's okay. He'll take you wherever you are. You say, Lord, I don't, I, I'm not worshiping you, but I want to. <laughs> Praise be to God. He says, I'll take you right where you're at. I will teach you. I will help you. And I've given you everything you need. I've given you my word. I've given you my spirit. I've given you my people. Just avail yourselves of what I have provided for you. So that's the second application. Worship Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Finally, decide. Decide that you're going to live for Jesus. You know, uh, we can, it can all sound like, oh yeah, man, that's right, and never make a decision. No, you need to make a decision whether you're going to live for him or not. And by the way, you don't want to live for him? Uh, Matthew 10, 39. Matthew 10, 39. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. You, we all have this propensity, this thinking 
that we can work out life and work it on our own because we've got the ability, we've got the brains, we've got the money, we've got the education, we've got whatever it takes. I can find life myself. Now you're going to lose it. But if you decide to lose your life, to live for Jesus, that's where you're going to find it. That's where you're going to find it. So I beg you, decide that you're going to live for Jesus. Look over again the purpose statement of Living Word and say, where can I plug in? And if not Living Word, whatever church you want to go to, plug in and be involved in God's kingdom work. Will you? I can't decide for you. I love you. But you need to make your own decision, will you? Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, that we can call you Abba Father. My, my Lord, your love and your mercy for us. May we never, ever, ever forget, Lord, in the midst of our arguing with you and complaining and bellyaching, oh God, May your mercy and patience continue with us, Lord. Father, we pray for someone who may be here and never trusted in Jesus. Maybe they've been abused by the church. Maybe they've been abused by another person. It's hard for them to trust. It's hard for them to trust. Oh God, may this morning they they would find your profound, eternal love for them and motivation to trust you. Be with all of us, fathers. We continue to seek to worship you. And we come asking for that help in Jesus' name. Amen.